Welcome back. And I'm delighted to be joined by uh, James Ransom, um, Casey. James, I, before we get into the article, do you often get, do you often find yourself going James Ransom QC? Because you've had it so long and now you've got to say Casey. Yeah, well, Johnny, great to be back again. And yeah, it's been a strange old, um, gosh, nearly nearly 12 months now um, since the late Queen died. Um, yeah, it was very odd because a, a few days after the Queen passed away, we all got an email um, from the Crown Office saying, you must now change your title. Um, and it was all very arbitrary and sudden. So there was a lot of scrabbling around on websites and business cards and everything else. And yeah, do you know what? I I, I do. I do still find it strange. You weren't going to and... change it to Mrs. Ramsden, were you? And then... <laughs> <laughs> she she wouldn't like that. Um, <laughs> do, do you know? It, and, it, and it's funny because obviously I grew up um, with the, the yeah the, the QC tag, and, and when you look at the law reports, the people referred to as KCs were all very old, very and old. So it's it's very you know you feel suddenly. 20 years very old, old. <laughs> <laughs> very old oh well james yeah. it's great great to have you back um and I, I i was keen to get you back on the show because you you wrote an interesting article um uh, to do with the law commission's third category um and and i was it'd be pr uh, really good for sort of um no listeners if, if you could just give us sort of an appraise of uh, of well first of all why the law commission you know what how what who are they and why do they you know, why do they get involved to make such verdicts? And then if perhaps you can just give us your views on what is this third category of assets and and why I, I love you. I welcome it's welcome and it's a look to the future. Perhaps if you can enlarge on that. That'd be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Law Commission um, is, is a pretty um, august and, and in my view, actually incredibly um, worthwhile um, institution. And it is staffed by academic lawyers, government lawyers, judges and practitioners who come and go according to what it is they're looking at. And their job is to reflect on how the English statute law should develop alongside the common law. And of course, the common law is the great jewel in our legal system. It's, it's this incredible um, mechanism of evolving our laws to suit new challenges and new circumstances. And the Law Commission's job is to make sure that statute does the same thing. And it operates by producing, um, through a consultation process, proposals, which Parliament can then either adopt in the form they're proposed or, or vary them. And that's what they've done with digital assets. And because this is such a, a new, interesting, but at the same time, challenging area of the law, this has been a very long-awaited uh, paper from the Law Commission. So that's essentially what they what they do and, and what they have done in this case. Okay, um, is, there, is there any equivalent um, in other jurisdictions? There is an equivalent in um, the United States, which is, of course, contrary to a lot of people's uh, apprehension, also a common law jurisdiction. Um, but uh, it's not just because I'm a proud English lawyer. Um, I don't think anybody, including the United States, has something as good as or as well informed as our Law Commission. Right. So so these, this is a group of independent experts who um, will be selected based on their own particular expertise to, to come and advise and effectively give some guidance to um, judges because they can actually, you know, make a decision. Then we have case law um, or or 
it's actually for um, governments to then pass statutes to say, okay, well, this is this is we're going to pass um, laws and regulations, or certainly laws as to um, what should be, and then from that, regulators step in and say, okay, we've now got the law, got some definitions, we may put some regulations around this. Yeah, it's not so much um, guidance to judges, although I have to say, just as we're discussing it now, judges will of course be aware of what the law commission is saying. It is normally intended to directly inform the legislature, parliament, lawmakers, uh, parliamentary draftsmen, the people who put put laws together. And that's that's its principal function. But I have to say, judges will anticipate where they think the law is going by looking at the Law Commission. Although, of course, they've got to be very careful to apply the law as it stands, not as it might be in two, three years' time. But for we uh, lawyers, not constrained as judges are, Absolutely. Um, It will affect our advice because in most cases, not all, but in most cases, the proposals the Law Commission make will become the law of two years time. Got it. Got it. And is is it that sort of time frame you're looking at? Is it a couple of years typically? Ordinarily, um, in the present case, with the present political uncertainty, a general election looming in 18 months time, I think that two years might get extended. Um, but if there is a change of government, if, for example, there is a majority Labour government, all indications are that they would accept the Law Commission's proposal and they are as enthusiastic as parts of the present government are to legislate, to make digital assets part of our statute law, not just our common law. And in contrast to the House of Commons, there is, and I I think you and I both know, Lord Chris Holmes in the House of Lords, who has been um, a real campaigner for legislation to cover digital assets yeah. and so i think they'll they'll always be support and impetus from the house of lords whoever is in power so yeah two years roughly i suspect in this case slightly longer okay uh, unless we get uh, case law unless unless the case is brought and then we get case law is, is that a fair comment yes i mean we have some case law at the moment i mean at the moment the the, the common law says that digital assets are property um, yeah, like like the pen in my hand um, or the earphones that I've got on. Um, the Law Commission have taken a different approach. They said, no, no, um, we're going to create a third and new category of, of asset specifically intended to cover digital assets. Okay, so, so before, before we get into that, I must congratulate you. Yeah. You've, um, you you've got a pen. I thought you'd have a, 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 a quill, a feathered quill. Do you know what? <laughs> it's my little comfort blanket, actually. And it's it's, pro- it's a bad habit or a good habit. It's probably very irritating to judges, but I always like to have a pen in my hand, even if I'm not writing anything, particularly when I'm on my feet uh, advocating. And, you know, I've got all sorts of little tricks where I can spin it around and, you know, <laughs> juggle it, which prob- is probably very irritating to someone uh, listening, listening to and looking at me. But um, anyhow, at least oh, you're not looking at me. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, so sorry, I interrupted. So, can you just explain what it, what do you mean by the third category, and and why why is it welcomed? Okay. So, at the moment, English law only really recognises two types of asset. Um, what most people would understand to be tangible assets, yeah, the pen, the headphones, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second category is what what is in slightly old fashioned language. Uh, chooses an action. So that that's a right. So my right to sue my bank, for example, to recover the balance on my current account, if I'm <clears throat> lucky to have a balance in my favour as opposed to an overdraft. Um, so it, it's 
so property is either tangible, physical, or it's a, a right that you can exercise over something or somebody else, which is which, which which would give you a benefit. That's what's called a chosen action. The law commission are proposing because they, having wrestled with this, don't think digital assets fall into either of those two categories with sufficient clarity. That a whole new uh, asset class is introduced by statute, and that would be the digital asset asset class. And this is a digital asset um, where we're talking about um, dots and dashes, ones and zeros. This isn't a dig. This isn't when we digitise um, pounds or 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 any other fiat currency, and it's not digitising funds or equities or bonds or co commodities, anything like that. The, 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 this is this is um this is crypto assets. These are zero, these are computer generated assets. Is that just just for clarity's sake? Exactly. So so yeah, there has been some controversy in relation to the proposal because um this asset class could be represented, for example, by an algorithmic code. And the point has been made that uh, why is that distinguishable from any algorithmic code on a computer? Why is it suddenly um, an asset in English law? Well, the answer is it's it's an asset which is connected to some measure of value, which is the original definition of a, of, of a, a, a crypto asset, something mm -hmm. that either measures or stores value. So as long as your algorithmic code is connected to or represents that thing, if I use that very general term, that measure or store of value, then it's yep. likely to be a, a, a digital asset. So it's one of the reasons why you can understand the Law Commission, um, who are august, bright, well-informed people, really found it difficult to shoehorn digital assets into either the asset that you can possess, something normally physical, or a, a chosen action, a, a right, a wider right. It doesn't really fit either of those two categories, and I happen to agree with that. Okay, brilliant. And 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 it's welcome, if I can paraphrase it, because essentially the, the Law Commission is suggesting that it's open then to um, English law and, and to then interpret different types of scenarios, because undoubtedly we're going to see digital assets be evolving and, and creating different rights and obligations for people. Exactly. It's not trying to be and, too specific, uh, I suppose. That's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. It's neither too specific nor too prescriptive. And I think this has been slightly misunderstood by some commentators. But I think what is good about the Law Commission's proposal is that it has set a very um, slim framework under which the common law can then take up the baton and build build on that framework, you know, put, put, put flesh on the skeleton. Um, so the intention is that Parliament will produce, as I understand it, a pretty light touch and high level definition of what this third category of property is, of, of, of rights rather, and the rest will be left up to judges to interpret that statute and apply it in individual cases as this technology evolves, and that it will be the common law that will really define the ambit of these digital assets, what is or is not a digital asset, and indeed what different classes of digital asset might be. So for those who are waiting for the Law Commission to produce a, a very comprehensive 
an all-encompassing proposal, um, they'll be disappointed. And, and I, I, I think uh, rightly, rightly so. Well, I say rightly so. I think it's it is right that they should be disappointed because it would have been wrong of the law commission to do that. So the role of the courts and judges and litigants, because after all, judges can't make decisions without parties turning up before them with a dispute. They are going to play a really important role in developing this area of the law over the next five, ten years. Right, right. So, so what we what we're saying is that rather than being very prescriptive and basing the law on what we know now, they're trying to build in a degree of flexibility um, that the the courts can then use and, and possibly legislative can, can have that flexibility. Um, so that it's relevant going forward. Yes. So yeah, it, it, in the commission's own words, this is simply a clear and consistent framework with the with the emphasis on framework um, to develop the law of digital assets. And you, so you're absolutely right. And the reason they've done that is that, as we all know, if they had gone the other way and tried to produce a very complicated, all-encompassing piece of legislation, it would almost certainly have been out of date by the time it had made its passage through both Houses of Parliament. Yeah. So very sensibly, they've left the uh, relatively fleet of foot common law to keep developing this area case by case, day by day, month by month, as the technology changes, as they recognise it will. You know, as you and I know, we're going to be in a very different place in 18 months, two years' time, certainly in five years' time from where we are now in terms of how this technology works. And there are going to be new players coming into the market, both private and nation state, who are going to have a huge effect. All of that's got to be reflected in the law of England and Wales. And really, what's at the heart of this? And it's it's a rare flash of optimism for both the UK Parliament and its economy. Is At the heart of this is the intention of, to make the UK, or at least English law, the best law, and England and Wales the best jurisdiction, to regulate digital assets so that you know, when a Hong Kong company or a South Korean company or French company decide to contract in relation to these assets, they'll choose English law as right. the governing law of that contract, because they will look at it and think we've got certainty, we've got reliability, we've got clarity. That's the key. Yeah. And and to be fair, you've also got the track record of English law is already used in, in what, over, over 80 jurisdictions already. So it's it's not as if this is something new. A lot a lot of these overseas jurisdictions often write um, law in um, their own laws in, in in English law. In any case, they do. And I mean, there are some remarkable figures actually as to the percentage of international trade that is carried out under English law contracts. It's a it's a huge proportion. Yeah. So don't underestimate the the, the significance of that. Uh, and you're right. I mean, I, I I'm dealing with a number of cases at the moment which would have no connection with this jurisdiction whatsoever. The contracting parties are on the other side of the world. Um, the digital assets they're dealing with have no connection with this jurisdiction, but they just happen to have agreed that their contractual relations are going to be governed by the law of England and Wales. And it's, it sucks in all of that work to this jurisdiction. And the importance of that cannot be underestimated going forward. Yeah, no, no. Very, yeah. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about very often a, a transfer of value, a payment in therefore if I can loosely use the word currency, and if you look at the foreign exchange market, you know, it's roughly, uh, it's just over $5 trillion a day, and the UK accounts for between 55 and 60% of that volume. You know, about $2.8, $2.9 trillion a day is being transacted through London. And 
Um, the next nearest market is New York, and it's you know we're fifty percent bigger than New York, so it, it, I think it's really important longer term that the UK can be seen as a trusted, reliable source um, to enforce you know contracts and the like. So um, yeah, really good. Yeah, I, I, FX is a very very important case in point because a couple of investment banks have tried to set up essentially blockchain platforms to transact um, FX because it would be so much faster than the present systems. Um, and obviously, the banks have a slight conflict in that respect, because that, that delay makes their money at the moment. Um, but a lot of clients are getting very wise to that and much more complaining about it. And the first bank to offer something which is far quicker and therefore far cheaper is going to make even more money. So absolutely. And I, I think FX is a very good example of where um, tokenization or di you know, digital transactions and certainly the use of stripping back to basics the block blockchain technology yeah. um is going to be very significant well one, one to keep an eye on then uh james is fx everywhere from hsbc um it's now being used by um wells fargo as well um, and they they claim it is substantially cheaper and faster than cls which is the main um, system use um, CLS. It's a bank um, with a, it's a subsidiary here in, the, in London, but also ma main places in New York. And HSBC claim that um, their their blockchain platform is indeed faster and cheaper. So it'll be interesting to see how how that evolves. But uh, it James, will be, and yeah, re really, really, really good to have you back. And um, I know last time we were talking about a court case that you were working on. Um, any any update on tulip trading? Yeah, um, two updates, actually. Um, wider than the Tulip case, there is now a trial in January of 2024, which will uh, determine the question of whether um, Dr. Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto, the inventor of Bitcoin. That has quite significant implications for a lot of litigation, which has spawned in the last um, three to four years concerning the role of developers in uh, the maintenance of um, the Bitcoin and, and wider cryptocurrency networks. So I suspect by May, June of next year, uh, we'll have judgment in that case, and that will be very, very significant. As for Tulip specifically, which is itself impacted by that trial, uh, that is likely to go to a hearing uh, towards the end of next year. Um, battle lines are drawn. Uh, the case is now before the English courts, having been to the Court of Appeal last year, and as was recognised by the Court of Appeal, that will have, a, in my view, an existential uh, effect, one way or the other, for good or evil, yeah. um, on the role of developers. So, yeah, I mean, I, we go back to common law. This is the common law in action. And by the end of 2024, the English courts will have delivered at least two hugely significant decisions, which will impact on the way that digital currency networks operate. Yeah, yeah. And, and as you say, developers and potentially their liability or not, um, you know, in, in, in relation to this. Yes, absolutely. And, and as I said, the consequences of that are going to be very significant. Whatever Parliament decides to do with the Law Commission's proposals, this is the common law in action. And yeah, uh, we, we will wait and see. It's going to be a very, very interesting and in many ways, exciting 2024 for that reason. Brilliant. Okay. Well, look, James, thank you very much. Great talking to you. And um, I'm, I'm not going to let you get away till the end of next year. I'll be definitely um, be bending your own, asking you to come 
um, write another article, Digital Bytes, and get you back on the airways because it, it's um, it, I, I love the way you explain it and the way you talk because I think so many times, and you know, we often have lawyers um, that, that come on the show, but it, it, the erudite way you explain what's actually happening now, I think is really helpful. And we, we've had some great feedback. So that's, thank you very much for taking the time, writing the article and coming back and we will speak to you soon. Well, John, it's my pleasure. And it, it, it's always great fun to come and, come and talk to you. Super. All right. Thank you, James.